I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, over there in Oak Ridge Country, the Wildcat Will Warren himself. Will, <laughs> good evening, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I'm formulating a bit about John Calipari uh, that I'll, I'm, I'm cooking. It's not ready. It's in the oven still. Give me about two weeks and I'll have something funny. Is it a podcast bit or is it a writing bit? A uh, podcast bit. I, it's it's about a, it feels like a solid B plus. I think I can get it to about an A, A minus joke uh, here in two, give me about two weeks. I'll have something for you. I like We're it. working uh, on a little Ash Wednesday theme. We'll see what we can do there. When is Ash Wednesday? As a non-Catholic, um, I am not certain February, of February, it's mid-February this year, I believe. Mm. I should say 2023, February okay. 22nd. So I've actually got a bit of time. You do have some time. You do have some time, Will Warren. Way um, too long until the fish fries start, though. We need those up. We need those running. Are you a fish guy? Love fried fish. Uh, not. I will not say like all fish is good, though. There are mm. some that are just kind of like, eh, like salmon. Eh, it's all right. Wow. But I love salmon. Not a big salmon I, guy. I like, I like good salmon, but like mm. there are restaurants that will sell you salmon and it's just kind of mid. Mm. And and I don't know. It's not something I would buy. This is going to sound very elitist, but I wouldn't buy it unless it was like in a coastal town or something. Okay. So that's that's one. Um, but like catfish is really hard to screw up. Um, any sort of good shrimp cocktail, you got to love those. Mm-hmm. So catfish is all right. Catfish is fine. Uh... It's it's probably got the highest floor of a fish <laughs> and one of the lowest ceilings. Highest floor catfish. I would say highest floor is like tilapia, where it's like there's no path okay. to tilapia actually being like this delicious, awesome thing, but you'll mm. never be upset about eating tilapia. You'll never actually be like, that was terrible. Like, it's just always going to be fine. Tilapia is the, the fine fish. And that concludes <laughs> fish talk here on uh, the Chase Thomas podcast. You can, you can vote uh, in our Twitter poll uh, that we'll definitely be following. We're eliminating all the bots to get this poll just right whether you want to hear about fish or running and you can only hear about one of the two there you go my dad loves our running talk so mm. um i had to do a balance test at pta so they're trying to see so because you have to get cleared on a certain balance thing i learned today before you're uh i guess not legally allowed to run but allowed to run in the sense that they okay you yeah um so it's like physically agreeable or whatever yes and it was tough man i'm not there yet but i'm close um you have to do this I, I don't know if you've ever done this where it's like a y balance test 
where it really does make uh, an upside down Y um, and you have to push, basically you have to put one foot in the air on this little thing or you put what you plant one foot right here and then you put one foot in front and you have to like keep that foot in place while you push this little uh kind of looks like a mouse trap forward as far as you can and they measure in every direction how far you can push um the thing while keeping your planted foot balanced and upright it sound it's when i'm saying it out loud it sounds easy you push it and you're doing it, it's super difficult. And that uh, is a big indicator on whether or not you're ready to, to run again. That sounds like a yoga move almost. Yeah, it's kind of like a yoga move, yes. Interesting. But I, I, I kind of want to do this test now. <laughs> it's fun. Um, I asked if I could bring it home and I, I was not allowed to bring it home. But no, mm-hmm. it's, uh, I, it's, um, it's not called a Y test, but it looks like an inverted uh, Y balance test. Oh, maybe it is just called a Y test. Okay. Yeah, the Y balance test. Hmm. And it's used to uh, check a person's possibility for injury. Yeah, this is it, as I'm looking at it right there. You push this thing forward and backwards and the other way. Do you see what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. You think Taylor Lewan has done a Y balance test? <laughs> I'm just asking. <laughs> oh, when, well. when they have the little cutouts of the people doing it it does look quite hard and it also looks like ballet somehow yeah kind of where you're pushing backwards especially you feel like you're doing ballet when you're doing the the backwards uh way of going about it the backwards plan but yeah you have to push out and keep pushing as far as you can and see uh how much you can balance and it it looks so easy before you do it and then um I, I didn't realize it's it's funny because you take for granted your strong foot after you break it because like I got farther and I was like getting fresh I got way more frustrated on my good foot because I was like oh man they're like you're significantly farther out of the gate on the good one <laughs> like it just your mind thinks that you're struggling more with that one because it's just it's just weird it's it's all very weird the more I think I've learned about my foot and healing the less I actually know will mm. um. Speaking of things I don't actually know, Will Warren, <laughs> the Kansas State Wildcats, are they just awesome? We talked about TCU a little bit last week, but Kansas State, more big wins. They play a really fun brand of basketball. You got the sound bites of the Kansas State basketball coach giving pep talks to uh, his assistant coaches on the sideline during games. Like a really, really likable bunch. And um, we kind of just forgot about this program. Maybe left him for dead a little bit because Bruce Weber, it just did not end well in Manhattan it was pretty solid of a, a head coaching hire way back when and we we're like it's he'll probably do okay there but like what's the expectation in Kansas State and just having Kansas be your rival in states like what what can you realistically expect out of them mm. and man they're good like how good though are the Kansas State Wildcats to this point so I think they're they're a very good team right and they're far far better than they had any right to be I thought I thought they wouldn't be outright bad heading into the season but there just had to be, in a conference as good as the Big 12, there had to be somebody who was going to be on the downswing. And uh, I kind of thought it would be either Kansas State or Iowa State. And it seems mm-hmm. like a lot of people did, too. Where it's just like, they're not a bad team, but by misfortune of being in this conference, they went 5-13 and 13 in conference play. Mm-hmm. Couldn't I mean, nothing they could really do. It was year one or whatever. And that has very much not been the case. I mean, you have to look kind of hard to find a four pack of wins especially in i think 11 days time Mm. as impressive as west virginia and oklahoma state at home with road texas road baylor there in the middle i mean that is incredible 
Uh, and that's, you know, really remarkable for a program that the non-conference slate, I didn't think was very good. They didn't really, they kind of had a nice soft run up where the only good teams they played were Nevada and Butler. Uh, they barely squeaked out a win over an okay LSU team. Uh, and you didn't really know what to make of them as Big 12 play came upon them. But they, I, I think they've been a little lucky. I don't think they're going to go 5-0 and in uh, games decided by six points or less the rest of the way. And there's some defensive holes there that are a little worrisome. They don't really have a great rim protector. Uh, they give up a pretty rough hit rate at the rim. And that's kind of just like, that's how it goes when your two best players are 5-8 and 6-6. Six, six. So, I mean, that's not what your team is built around is rim protection, really. So, but all that aside, I don't think it matters because almost regardless of what they do the rest of the way, they've overachieved, right? Hmm. Like when I said that 5-13 and 13 figure, I'm kind of making it up out of thin air, but that was more or less the general expectation. Like somebody's got to lose a bunch of games and it's probably going to be Kansas State. If 5-13 and 13 is your expectation, they're already 4-0 and 0 right now in Big hmm. 12 play. And uh, I mean, barring a collapse of like, you know, legitimately finishing seven and eleven in the Big Twelve somehow. I think they've about locked up a NCAA tournament bid, wow. which is massive for year one for Jerome Tang. Um, do I believe that this is one of the ten best teams in America or whatever? No, but do I think they're one of the twenty to twenty-five best? Absolutely, and that's a huge, huge step forward from where they were. So, if it does go awry and like a seven eleven finish, like how does what changes? Why does that happen for you? Well, I, they've been they've gotten away a bit with the fact that they foul a lot. They are 297th in defensive foul rate. Hmm. Um, eventually, that is going to get them in trouble because it's they they really don't go that deep. I mean, yes, they play nine guys, but two of them play less than ten minutes a game. And in tighter, tougher games, uh, Tang has been shortened it even down to six men for the second hmm. half. Uh, so. <laughs> That's that's kind of an issue when, you know, like Naquan Tomlin, four fouls per 40, Cam Carter, four fouls per 40, Tyke Green for actually almost five fouls per 40. The good news is, again, like, you know, Marquise Noel, Keontae Johnson, not big foul guys. They're going to stay in there. They're going to play as long as they can. And you can ride them for a long time. But mm. I, I don't think this team is built to shoot as they've as well as they've shot forever, that they are getting really good shots offensively. And eventually, I think somebody's going to really get this team defensively in a way that they can't overcome with, like, you know, un unbelievably great shooting, like they did with Texas and Baylor. They did not play well defensively at all in either of those games, but they were so hot from two and three, it didn't matter. So eventually, that formula is not going to work. Like, wouldn't shock me if TCU beat them Saturday just because hmm. TCU is really good. Wouldn't even shock me if they lost the next two because their game after that is at home against Kansas. But I mean, even if that were the case and they fell to 15 and three, you've still got to be really happy with where they're at. For sure. Um, what about Gonzaga? Gonzaga, we're going to talk about a, a bigger program here in a second uh, who's find themselves in the top 10 in Kempom in early January. But I'm curious for you, like they haven't lost a, a WCC game yet. Um, three losses, I believe, total top 10 in the AP poll. But it just doesn't feel like the Gonzaga we've come accustomed to. And I think before the year, we thought they would be a potential Final Four team still. Have you shifted at all? Are we just getting tired of Gonzaga dominance? Like, are they still going to go undefeated in the conference? And then we're going to be like, all right, they're still like a two seed at worst come tournament time. Or 
Where are you at with Gonzaga, who've just been kind of quiet all year long? So I would say that Gonzaga is still a great team with an elite offense and, frankly, a bad defense. Hmm. And it makes that result in that uh, exhibition game between Tennessee and Gonzaga a little easier to digest, Hmm. given what we have seen since, where Tennessee kind of just appears to be clearly better. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gonzaga's defense appears to be like pretty clearly stinky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's kind of strange because like they brought back uh, 67% of their minutes from last year. Drew Timmy is back. Strother, Hickman, Bolton, Watson, etc. But, you know, you lose a guy like Chet Holmgren, who was probably the very best rim protector in the nation last year. And that fundamentally changes what you're able to do. And like Drew Timmy, try as he might, he's no Chet Holmgren as a rim protector. And so teams aren't as afraid of the paint anymore. Ben Gregg, the backup center who plays, he's been playing more, could get there. And he's a solid shooter for a big. Like he's, a, I mean, this is a six foot 10 guy who's at 32% from three, not bad at all. Mm. Um, but he's not quite there as a rim protector. Solid defender, but not great. And then that's basically it. So teams are not as fearful of attacking the paint anymore. That's why you've seen them have some, frankly, defensive performances that are, I wouldn't declare like shocking, but it's just like, it's not the Gonzaga we're used to, right? Like giving up 93 to Texas, giving up 84 to Xavier, even 75 to Montana is pretty alarming given that it's Hmm. Montana. And I mean, like Montana's not a bad basketball team, but they're obviously not among the nation's best. And so, and and it's, it's interesting because Mark Few is, I mean, as far as I've been able to recognize, playing the shortest rotation he's ever played, where hmm. it's, it is eight guys, but Greg sometimes barely plays. And he's really giving seven dudes, Timmy, Strother, Hickman, Bolton, Watson, Malachi Smith, the UTC transfer, and Hunter Salas, the major, major chunk of the minutes. Greg doesn't even get to 10 minutes a game, and no one else touches the court. Like Efton Reed, the LSU transfer we were all really interested in, hmm. barely playing at all. So it, he just has come in well under expectations. So they're a lot more vulnerable than we're used to. That being said, I am willing to commit to somebody different winning the West Coast when somebody different wins the West Coast. And I've seen it with my own eyes in the regular season, to clarify, not the conference tournament. Um, I, I really do think it's going to be a drag it out battle all the way to the finish between them and St. Mary's. Wouldn't be surprised if both lose a couple games in conference play again not the gonzaga of old this is a much more vulnerable group but i think again you know it's hard to get too down on them when i look at them and i'm like okay that's probably a four seed in the ncaa tournament Hmm. and that feels like about right like their their down year their worst year i mean really their worst year probably since 2015-16 looking like a four seed so, I mean, like, how how upset could you really be if you're a Gonzaga fan? And, of course, this would be, like, the kind of year that few wins a title, right? Like, a well, down yeah, well, year. It's like, like... We look at the top of the nation, and so this isn't, like, a perfect way to measure. Mm-hmm. But if you take 10th in Ken Palm right now, uh, who is Ohio State, mm-hmm. they've got the adjusted efficiency margin of a hair over 21. Mm-hmm. If that held, that would be the lowest, I think, since 2006. That's kind of where we're at with the top end of college basketball this year, where I I think there's like that, I don't know why I think of it in like a NASCAR view, but it feels like a race in which there's like, there's that breakaway pack of like seven teams. Mm -hmm. And then there's like a 
wide coin flip collection of like, here's St. Mary's, here's Arizona, here's Gonzaga, here's Marquette. Teams like that where it's like, honestly, if they get the right draw, Gonzaga could go to the final four. But if they get the wrong draw, Gonzaga could go home in the first round. Hmm. And that feels like you could use that exact description for 20 different teams right now. Man, um, I'm curious to see what they look like. I, I wonder too, though, last thing on Gonzaga, do you think they're stuck here? Do you think because he's playing a tight rotation, there's no path uh, to them uh, improving and just running the gauntlet and uh, getting better than a four seed? Or do you think they're kind of, I don't know. Is there any uncertainty about what you've seen thus far where you're like, okay, this has been who they are to January 12th, but I think there is still a path for them to take uh, the league and just the sport by storm uh, come March really depends i think so i you kind of got to base it on seniority right like Mm. timmy is probably playing about as well as he can play Mm. anton watson has probably reached his peak uh razier bolton could be playing a little better but he's more or less what he's been for three years now so it's like can if julian strother takes another level up then that could change things if malachi smith becomes a bigger factor for the team that could change something I don't think they're like stuck necessarily because like again you look at Ken Palm half a point separates them from number nine in America, so like it's just that's how close it is. But at the same time, one point separates them from being like seventeenth. Mm. So that's kind of their range to me. It's like I I think end of year you're probably looking at a team that's somewhere in like that ninth to seventeenth eighteenth range. Four seed is the best guess, but again. It wouldn't surprise you, given that this is Gonzaga, if, you know, like those guys just get a little bit better, Gonzaga as a team gets a little bit better, and they emerge as like the WCC winner and an eventual three seed. But I hmm. would be a little surprised if they can go above a three this year. Um, St. Mary's in the top 10, and Kim Palm, I believe they have three losses to this point as well, if I remember correctly. Is it three uh, or is uh, it five? Four. Four. Okay. Four. Um, top 10 in Kim Palm. And right now, the biggest threat to Gonzaga not being perfect once again in the WCC. Like, what do you what do you make of this St. Mary's team, and how are they different than years past? And do you think this is the best opportunity they've had uh, in a long time to un to usurp uh, the Gonzaga Bulldogs? I think this is for sure the best opportunity they've had in a long time. I mean, you look at it historically, and this is almost certainly the best St. Mary's team that's ever been. The only serious contenders are maybe like that Omar Samhan team, the Sweet hmm. 16 group, or the 2016-17 team that lost to Larry Markinen in the round of 32. But the the key is their defense. Uh, Jordan Sperber at Hoop Vision had a great breakdown of it, of how they make um, more teams than any, or they, they give up. I think his stat was they give up more jumpers off the dribble, like mid-range jumpers on pick and rolls than any other team in America. But Mm -hmm. that's intentional. Like they don't really let you get to the rim despite not having a great rim protector. And they funnel you off the three-point line. They are a really, really freaking hard defense to crack because if you don't get off a good shot, they are going to rebound it. They are number two in America in defensive rebounding rate. They force more turnovers than they have in a long time. Uh, if you're a defense or sorry, if you're an offense, that's just like not prepared to sit it out for a bit and work for your shot and try your best to get to the free throw line or an open three, you are really going to struggle against these guys. I mean, the two of the losses are not very pretty, frankly, like Colorado state at home is a little bad. 
Washington on a neutral court was disappointing, but they have yet to lose a game by more than five points. Mm. And that five-point loss was on the road to Houston. And that's about the most impressive road loss you can get this year. Yeah. So, um, and, and I, I think their resume as a whole is going to, I feel very confidently they will be undervalued come Selection Sunday because the teams on the resume that are good wins do not pop off the page to non-obsessives as good basketball wins. So you look at like, they've beaten Oral Roberts, who's going to win the Summit League. They've beaten North Texas, who's now edging ahead of UAB for second in a really good conference USA. They beat Vandy on a neutral court. That's not like a great win, but Vandy's top 100. Mm. They beat San Diego State on a neutral court. Great win. Beat Santa Clara on the road. If they can beat Gonzaga at least once, uh, it's going to be frustrating because you can kind of already see this team still being ninth in Ken Palm, but like a six seed. Hmm. But even so, I mean, they're legitimate. I I think that if we lived in an era where the net ranking didn't exist, they hmm. would be hurt a lot. But the hmm. net rated is going to be their savior and is going to keep them out of being like, I feel like if we had the RPI, they'd be a nine seed or something. So they're, they're going to get rewarded in some fashion for this season. To answer the question of making a deep tourney run, it's all based on um, just who you draw <laughs> mm-hmm. and like whether you shot well that day or not. I, I would say it is encouraging when you run the stats on Bart Torvik's site, two of their five most common uh, comparisons when you go by just offense and defense, not get too into the weeds, are 2014 Florida, Final Four team, hmm. and 2018 Michigan, national title runner-up. Wow. Of their uh, of their t- of their nine most common or sorry, nine most similar teams, uh all but three or or sorry, all but one at least made the round of thirty-two, and six of the nine went to the sweet sixteen or further. So that kind of hmm. gives you an indication of what we're looking at here. They're really good. What would they have to do from here on to get a three seed? Win out. So they'd have to win out, <laughs> Honestly, basically. I, I think um I think they'd either have to win out and the one loss is like Gonzaga on the road hmm. or they'd have to win out period. And I think that the latter is probably more likely the case because at that point of you are 27 and four, 16 and 0 in conference, you've beaten Gonzaga twice, which is mm-hmm. crazy. That does not happen. You have swept BYU, you swept Santa Clara, you swept a lot of good teams. You've beaten San Diego State in a neutral and you've beaten Oral Roberts in North Texas. I mean, at that point, they'd have like nine quadrant one and two wins. Pretty good, pretty good freaking resume. So at that point, I think they'd be in contention for a three seed. But the, I mean, it's unlikely they're going to win out, which is fine. But even if they go 14 and two, I would imagine that would set them up in line for like a five or a six. Interesting. But like you said, not a death sentence for uh, St. Mary's if that's where they're at because history is kind to teams that have played and performed to like them to this point. It's a pretty good company that they found themselves in. I want to go ahead and get out of in front of a comparison that people are going to make uh, if they go far is that mm. people are going to say this team looks a lot like Butler. And mm. I would hear that out a little bit because Butler is also a defensive first squad, which people kind of forget now that Brad Stevens is so famous for all the offensive stuff. Mm-hmm. But they were they were great defensively first, like an elite defensive squad. Um, I don't think. So are we talking like about a, the Sheldon Mack Gordon Hayward Butler teams? Is that Sheldon what Mack Gordon Hayward? What was that guy's name? Matt Howard. 
the, that the sounds center right. of the Red Sox. Yes. Yes. Um, really great to be able to remember that. That's how that's how you know your brain is just purely warped as a human. Mm-hmm. Matt um, Howard, I like it. I, Kevin Pitsnoggle. Like, yo, Pitsnoggle's a good one. I think that's a good uh, comparison. And a team that I would like for people to investigate to remind themselves of somebody is like 2014-15 Utah with DeLon Wright on the roster. Hmm. That team that pushed Duke to the brink in the Sweet 16. That's kind of, they give me that sort of vibe of like, it's got, you're going to have a heck of a time getting them out of the tournament if you draw them. I like it. Miss Dillon Wright in uh, Atlanta. He was uh, a great player. And I think the, the Wizards off on when he's just not playing is uh, a difference between them being a playing team and not. So mm-hmm. still still playing great uh, in the NBA. Shelvin Mack had a pretty good run too. He was on that uh, hilarious meme for the Magic forever. He like led, I think he led the Magic in assists per game one year. And it was just one of the <laughs> saddest, one of the saddest Magic seasons. Um, but shout out to Shelvin Mack. He was a great college player. Um, are you worried now that UConn is having a little bit of slippage, Will Warren? Are you not as high on UConn as we were two weeks ago? I hold the exact same view as I had two weeks ago, which is that they're one of like the five best teams. Probably not number one, but I don't know if anyone is. Mm-hmm. Um, their problem is that they face their three toughest road games, probably. Maybe Creighton would rank out of Providence as tough. I don't mm-hmm. really know, but... They probably face their three toughest road games right at the beginning of conference play, where it's like Road Xavier is brutal. Road Providence, not an easy place to play. Road Marquette, I mean, those are all tough games to pick. So they got them three in a row, lost all three. Could they have won won even one of those? Yeah, for sure. Like, I thought they probably deserved better against Marquette on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Um, The uh, Marquette shot 11 for 14 on mid-range jumpers, which is like... That's not going to happen if they played 100 more times. But Mm -hmm. um, even so, no, I don't find myself very worried about them. They do so many things well that I'm not really scared about them having this sort of like brief, short run. The problem for them as it pertains to like further in the year, and it has really victimized them in two of these three losses, is that these guys really do foul like crazy. And Mm. this it kind of goes back a little bit to the... um, the corollary of like you're not gonna foul or you're not gonna like lose your guys for Kansas State when they're five eight and six six. They're not gonna come off the court. But mm-hmm. when your best player for UConn is a six nine guy that commits over four fouls per forty, that kind of makes sense. And his backup, Donovan Klingon, who's otherwise amazing, commits almost six fouls per forty. So that's kind of the thing that I think Xavier and particularly Providence figured out. And obviously in these games you're gonna get a little help from officials, but uh, it's still shocking to me to see, you know, I think Providence took almost or over 30 free throws in that game. Yeah, hmm. 35. Uh, Xavier attempted uh, 28. So that's kind of the path there is like if you keep putting teams on the line over and over for the aside from a wide open dunk, the most efficient shot in basketball, that's a problem. But again, not every team is going to take advantage of that. They've just faced mm-hmm. a couple that really were built to do so. They still do a terrific job of eliminating threes in general. They're number five in three-point rate allowed, meaning they allow the fifth fewest threes per game of any team out there. They force a ton of one-on-one scoring, and then offensively, they remain just a joy to watch. So uh, I'm thinking I don't know that they're going to end up with a one-seed 
but they very well could. It's, it's just so dependent on how everything else shakes out. Like, I'm not sure anybody is a lock yet, uh, like we've had in past years. So I, I don't really know how it shakes out for them, but I still believe in them as one of like the five best teams out there. Maybe, maybe if you want to extend it to six and include Alabama or Tennessee, whoever you feel like in that group, then you can say they're one of the six best, and those six are on a relative scale pretty even. Speaking of Tennessee, um, we didn't mention uh, Coach Calipari in that uh, front because Cal and the Wildcats will be coming in to TBA on Saturday at noon. It's going to be a fun one. Uh, very excited for that, Will Warren. But um, we had this week uh, Rock Bottom where a fan was escorted out of Rep Arena for issuing uh, uh, his opinion and hoping that uh, t- uh, John Calipari... <laughs> Uh, takes a certain job out there in Austin, Texas. Um, I think he's been contacted if the reporting's right, but it, it seems like Norlander and company are, have pushed that one to the side. He's in his mid sixties. It just doesn't feel like um, that's a realistic landing spot um, for uh, Calipari. I know Jimmy Dykes, our friend from the show, uh, your guy, Jimmy Dykes suggested the two coaches who squared off this week, Eric Musselman and, uh, uh, Nate Oates should be uh, two of the first calls from Texas uh, on that front. So maybe we'll see if uh, there's some traction there. But we have all the all the time in the world to talk about Cal's future after the season. But what what is going on? Like, this is now a different... Like, we were worried about Kentucky earlier. But now you have guys like... They're not... They're just looking for effort. They're just looking for this team not to quit. And I just... This is a different level of discombobulation and chaos i think under calipari and this is an extremely talented team oscar shibway could have left he came back and that's looking like a really rough decision at this point um i don't know i i feel like kentucky anyone who's hoping and like rick barnes talked about it shoot around today of like hey they play their best basketball late and rick's just super nice and uh, yeah. always positive where he's like they play their best basketball at the end it's like well that man was saying positive things about south carolina basketball and yes sir well speaking of south carolina to. played cal in kentucky pretty well uh will <laughs> warren um how how much trouble is kentucky now in so it's all relative right of like it's very deep trouble um and it kind of requires some little historical balance of like, I, I think fans are largely right when they say this is the lowest they felt and the lowest the program has really been since Billy Gillespie's final year. Uh, because there there are some similarities where it's like the team is not taking the step forward you anticipated. They're clearly way underperforming. Um, uh, and, you know, one of, one of my very guilty pleasures that I will admit to is I absolutely love Kentucky sports radio. I think Matt Jones is honestly like very funny. And I listened to both of their last two post games and, you know, he's making a good argument because there's, you're always going to have defenders of a coach, right? It's this weird, Mm -hmm. like cultural thing that Americans do that um, I've noticed like Europeans have no time for, which credit to them. They Mm -hmm. will fire a manager whenever they're ready. Um, But he says, you know, like the issue is not talent. Like, the National Player of the Year returned. Mm-hmm. The back-to-back SEC assist leader, leader returned. A five-star top 10 recruit came in. You know, a 20-point-per-game score from Illinois State came in, and he was supposed to be your fifth scoring option. And, like, is that a perfect team? Like, it was probably a little optimistic for Ken Palm's site to have them number one, but, like, 
at minimum, I think you and I would agree Kentucky should on paper have one of the 10 best rosters in the sport. Oh yeah. If not top five. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you invented an anti coach of the year award, I think Cal would have to take it this year because uh, people are saying, you know, and Kyle Tucker put out a really good story today in um, the athletic, whereas, you know, he kind of revealed some secrets of like, you know, obviously Mitch Barnhart and Cal are not ever on the same page, but it seems especially bad as of late, Mm -hmm. but there's also just some general laziness involved and not just with the players, with the staff itself. Uh, there's a nugget in there that the two people doing like 97% of the scouting are a graduate assistant and a video guy. The hmm. assistants do not do scouting at all, uh, which is, ext- I, I can tell you, extraordinarily rare for a major college program. Uh, all three assistants just recruit. They are not involved in the game plans. Hmm. And to me, that speaks as a massive staffing failure to not be able to prepare quality game plans game to game for different opponents. And I think that's why, and frankly, it's as good an explanation as any I've seen, that they have been god-awful against good teams this year and have looked awesome against teams they can just simply show up and overpower. Like, you look at their record against top 100 Ken Palm teams, they are now 3-5, and five, and the, f- the three wins are neutral site Michigan, where they mm. really struggled and overly won because they shot 60% from three. Home Yale, where they trailed with 10 minutes to go. And home LSU against a, frankly, bad LSU team that they won by three despite being awful defensively. And it's just shocking to me that, I mean, like, we'll, you'll see a lot of people complain about their offense. And it is, yes, very weird that they are so deeply committed to not playing four shooters at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not really Jacob Toppin's fault to me that he's coming under expectation. Again, coaching. Um, but the the defense is what suffers more. And I think it's because he's so committed to playing. The, the thing people miss in the forest for the trees when you play two big guys, mm-hmm. it's not really the offensive effect. It's defensive. Because mm-hmm. so many teams play with four shooters or three and a half shooters now that if you put out two bigs, one of them is in a massive athletic mismatch. And that has seemed to be the issue. Like Kentucky gives up more open threes than any other team in the SEC. Hmm. They have struggled mightily with rim protection this year because Oscar's not a very vertical guy. Mm-hmm. They don't rebound the ball well on defense. The only thing you can say they do well game to game is offensive rebounds. Hmm. And no matter what the talent level is, no matter what year it is, no matter how old John is, that should never, ever be the case at UK. It's also funny. I think Jay Billis told me on the pod a couple weeks ago. He's like, I hate. I think he said something like, "I hate the offensive rebounding stat." Where it's like, if you're really excited about being a really good offensive rebounding team, that means you're missing a lot of shots. Where it's like, great that you're getting well, yeah. a lot of offensive rebounds, but if that's the first thing you say, like, we're a great offensive rebounding team, that means you're probably not a great shooting team, and that's a bigger, bigger issue. Um, well, and I think part of it is just like, you. I mean. We'll, we'll get into this and I'll have this in the preview, but I think like some of those offensive rebounding numbers are inflated because a lot of it is just like Oscar putting back his own misses right <laughs> at the rim. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, should those, are, are those like real great offensive rebounds? Like, let's see that offensive rebound read on threes or mm-hmm. your 500 mid-range jumpers you're committed to taking every game. Like, I, I mean, these guys have just the worst shot selection you could see, and it like works out just fine for them because they have some shooters now. But uh, all around, 
it's felt like a constant failing, you know, essentially ever since they blew it to Auburn in that Elite Eight game. Like they were, you know, they were fine in the pre-COVID year. They weren't really elite, but they would have been like a four seed or whatever. They were obviously bad in the COVID season. They were better last year, but you could tell, and it really started with that road Tennessee loss. Teams had figured Oscar out and teams had figured their defense out. Their defense was horrendous leading into March last year. And none of that has been fixed. And I, I mean, does this feel like it for Cal? This is probably it, right? I, I think this is this is the first time where I have actually believed it's coming to an end. Yeah. Uh, because, so let's say, and I, I'm running the numbers on Bart Torvik's site right now. Mm-hmm. So let's say Kentucky turns it around in the sense that like they play like a top thirty-ish team the rest of the way. So that's like they're going to finish, you know, eight and ten, nine and nine in the SEC, eighteen and thirteen, nineteen and twelve overall. Mm-hmm. They're probably still not in the field because what is their best win right now? It's Michigan. It's a neutral court win over Michigan. Who and I don't know if people have heard this from the five hundred times we've talked about it. Michigan is not a good basketball team, hmm. and so I mean they have a real chance of ending this month. I, I mean. I think you and I are probably on the same page. They're not going to fix this in time for Tennessee Saturday. They could, they're God. I hope not. I, I don't think so. It would require a really bad shooting performance by Tennessee. Always. On well, the hold on. We know Always they can the do that. <laughs> but it's like, but Tennessee's hedge in offensive rebounding and theirs is more built on real shots than just Oscar putbacks. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they get to the free throw line so often, I think they'd be fine regardless of a bad shooting night. And so you get to that. We're going to assume they don't fix it in time to beat mm. a really good Tennessee team. If they don't beat Kansas at home on January 28th, you are looking at Kentucky. Mm. Again, Kentucky, one of the greatest programs in college basketball history, probably one of the two best of the last 40 years, entering February without a single win over a top 50 team. Wow. And at that point, how do they get in? I mean, we can just go ahead and say it's over. If they don't get in at that, like if they miss the tournament. If you miss, I mean, honestly, if you miss the tournament with a national player of the year, mm. and he can't get fired because the buyout on Kentucky's side is $40 million because of that lifetime contract. Mm. But like, could he leave for another job? Sure. But I mean, does Texas want him? <laughs> I don't think <laughs> so. They? I don't think they should. You can do better. You could. Yeah. If you're Texas, and I don't think they're going to do this because teams really don't make a lot of big hires anymore, I would go for Nate Oates. I'd go for Musselman. I'd go for Bruce freaking Pearl five times before I would call Cal once. Mm-hmm. Because we've seen it. He's not serious about the game day side of it anymore. That's just, man, it's weird too because you would assume as you get older, you would just like to um, reallocate those resources that you would be more okay with uh giving more responsibilities to your your staff you wouldn't go the other way that's like something like you know when coaches don't want to give up play calling the younger coaches are like i'm hands-on i'm calling plays and you gradually become the ceo type coach and Mm -hmm. you just let your assistants and you trust your assistants i'm surprised he's gotten the other way and and the thing that we kind of wait with kentucky is always like wait until they flip the switch wait until they flip the switch Mm -hmm. and it's like you look at this year's roster and how this is, I, I think statistically, Cal's oldest that mm-hmm. I, I maybe he's ever had, dating back to early years at Memphis. Mm-hmm. Who is gonna suddenly get better? 
Like, yeah. is Shibwe suddenly going to be better than the National Player of the Year Shibwe from a year ago? Because, I mean, he's more or less sustained the same stats. Is Kaysen Wallace suddenly going to do better than shooting 42% from three? I mean, honestly, and this is funniest to me, do you think Severe Wheeler is going to shoot better than 39% from three the rest of the way? That guy? I have my doubts. So, I mean... Where, where does the fix come from? I, I, that's my point is like, yeah, they can get better just because they have a very deeply talented roster, but it's not going to come from the scoring side. They have to like completely reinvent the wheel on defense over the next two months to make the tournament. We'll see. Um, that would be uh, funny that if they did not. Uh, I, I think it, it would be extremely, extremely funny because... Uh, again, if they get out of that Kansas game and they've lost to both UT and Kansas, that point you are, I believe, 13-8. and eight, And I think they would be 3-5 and five or 4-4 four and four in conference play one. Hmm. Uh, okay. I mean, like, that smells like NIT to me. <laughs> and that's before you get to, like, they've still got to play Arkansas, still got to play UT again. Florida, Auburn, Arkansas, again. So, I don't know what the path is, man. Hate to see it. Um, Tennessee, though, things you love to see. Jerry Stackhouse, after Tennessee beat Vanderbilt, they were playing with their food for a little bit in the first half, turned it on in the second half. Um, really no issue. Uh, extend the win streak. What is, how many times did they beat Vanderbilt in a row? 11. No? So, that 11. ties the longest streak in the uh, series history. Man, um, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Uh, Will, so what did you see from Tennessee this week? Uh, Stackhouse called him the best team in the SEC. Um, I cannot wait for Bama. It stinks that we still have, what, a month before Tennessee-Bama uh, actually happens? I think we're around then. So I was telling folks, I'm like, I just, I don't think Tennessee's going to be challenged until that Mizzou-Bama week. Like, I think that's the next time Tennessee is going to be pushed um, in a significant way. Um mm. I don't know. Are are you feeling the same as this as opt or not optimistic? Are you do you feel like this is the best point Tennessee has been all year? And do you think this is sustainable the way they're playing? Uh, I'm kind of in the general group of like the Ken Palms and the Torvix out there of like eventually somebody is surely to God going to hit threes on Tennessee. Like you mm-hmm. can allow twenty one percent for a full season. Um but I think the general basis of can Tennessee uh, continue to look like, frankly, they've started to look like a top, you know, 20-ish offense to go mm-hmm. with the really good defense. Is that aspect of it sustainable? I think yes. So there's a path to them, like, you know, not falling off, but like regressing to the field defensively and kind of like battling it out with Houston for number one at years in. But at the same time, there's a real path to them, you know, moving into the top 20 offensively, you know, continuing to progress in a good direction. Like, they really have had four of, in fact, I would say arguably four of their best performances of the entire season offensively in the last five games. Hmm. I, I thought about not including Austin P, but I mean, right now on Torvik's site, Austin P is nine spots ahead of South Carolina. So might as well include both, right? Um, but, you know, you look so good against Mississippi State. And yeah, like that shooting inflated, but you come out of that Vanderbilt game and yeah, Vandy got Tennessee a few times at the rim. I think Tennessee, like you said, played with their food a little bit, kind of had the controller off, weren't really interested for a while. Definitely looking ahead to Kentucky. I think that goes without saying that's just means so much to the program. 
but for it to do all that and it's still like you owned the boards you shot really well from two again continued to shoot all right from three it just seems like everything Tennessee's doing on that side of the ball is moving in a positive direction and it seems like they're they're trending upwards in a way that's sustainable in a way that's really good I I mean we've really got to come to terms with the thought that they it's insane to say this, right? Mm-hmm. But they really could be, if they cover the spread against Kentucky, it sickens me to say that phrase, they will be number one in Ken Palm on Sunday. Hmm. If they beat Kentucky by 14 or more, they will be number one because of Houston's close win against South Florida. Hmm. And that is just an insane thing to ponder because, one, the polls haven't caught up yet. And two, you have to come to terms with the idea that like this Tennessee team really might be the one to, you know, erase all the bad March feelings. Are we sure Tyreek Key's good? My hot take is that he's the least effective player in the rotation, but I like having him out there because he is a very good shooter. Yeah, he's shooting, what, 36% from three. He's shot pretty well, 40% night, a couple nights out of this group. He shot, what, two of four? Yeah, uh, Wednesday night or Tuesday night. They all blend together. He is, um, Tyreek is good. But Tyreek is very obviously not a defensive first guy, I would say. <laughs> he, uh, of, of all of Tennessee's main rotation guys, he is the most prone to get lost in a switch or in a mm. rotation. Uh, the only other competition he's got would be Awaka, and that's just because Awaka's young and thin. Um, or, and or here's he's like the other thick, thing, but he's, just like, he's not versatile yet. Toby Awaka getting rebounds is cooler than anything else that your team does. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, I, Key is kind of, like, just a shooter at this point, which is sad because when he was at Indiana State, he was this ball-dominant guy who would take 500 mid-range twos. Yes. You watch he, those highlights. He doesn't do any of that for Tennessee. And so, like, but I think that side of him could still reemerge. Like, hmm. that guy, he's shooting 16% on mid-range twos right now. That's hmm. not going to hold, given his past. So, I think his best contributions are still ahead of him. Tennessee will need him at some point. Um, I think they're going to need him in March. He just feels like someone yeah. that you hope is his best stuff. It comes in March. Tyreek Key definitely feels like the guy on a one seed who's like the seventh man or whatever that no one but the one seeds fans know of. And then it's like, oh my God, this guy just hit five threes to make it to the Elite Eight. Yeah. So that that's kind of his state, his status within Tennessee hoops, where it's like he's taken a clear step down in role. But he's still important to the team's fortunes. What do you think is the starting five come SEC tournament time? Uh, Barnes really freaking loves playing a true center. So um, I don't think it's going to be Euros for much longer. I think I do is getting to the point. I do is already better straight up. So I I think that's kind of where we're getting. And I do. The thing with the starting lineup is like it doesn't really matter much because I do already plays more. Yeah. So but either way. I think Ziegler's going to continue to come off the bench as long as Tennessee is okay with it. So the starting as long as lineup, Rick Barnes is roaming the sidelines. That man has like PTSD from the Colorado game that he'll never get over for Ziegler. Like Ziegler's never starting another game for Tennessee, yet, barring injury. But it could just be a thing that he likes too. Like I mean, if he's really prefers coming off the bench and mm. he thinks he's, it's like the Tari Eason thing last year, right? We were all like really mm. confused, like why does LSU bring Tari Eason off the bench? And come to find out, it's like he asked to do it. He prefers that. Mm-hmm. So it just, which know, is okay. It works, it works for some guys, but either way, 
your starting lineup's probably Tyreek Key, Vescovy, Triple J, <sighs> Phillips, Kamwa, I think. They, hmm. He might progress to a point where it's like they don't really need to start either I do or Plavsic when they're just going to play him a lot anyway. I just don't see Barnes ever doing that. So who do you think goes? Because Kamwa's playing so well at this point. Kamwa's in there. Like, you can't pull him. Yeah. Like, he is in you that You can't group. really pull Phillips. You can't pull Vescovy, obviously. It's Triple J. It is probably Triple J. So it's probably Key, Vescovy, Julian, Kamwa, and I do, I would say. I think it's I do. Triple J is six, man. Yeah, and that's Ziggler, what I would Triple guess. G and Ziggler's co-six men, I would but argue. But then, you know what's even more complicated? What's the best closing five for this group when they're all healthy? Like, I, th- someone's going to be pissed. because uh, so someone... my, my closing five is the exact same as it was day one. Okay. Uh, which is actually a little surprising, but I've seen enough to feel pretty good about this. Uh, Ziggler, Vescovy, Triple J, Phillips, Kamwa. Uh, that's mm. your best five finishing out a game. Outside chance of, like, if you really need a stop i would rather have i do in there than kamwa mm. just because i trust his build a bit more and obviously mayshack is always going to be in the radar here um but offensively and just overall i think that's your five is it's like it's ziggler vescovy phillips triple j they split three and four and then kamwa at center to finish it out and that kind of seems like tennessee's most versatile offensive look in general because all five of those guys can and will shoot yeah Will, stat of the week. What is it? I have actually a good one. I was not anticipating okay. having anything interesting aside from um, trying to scrounge up something Kentucky-related. <laughs> but here's my stat of the week. So there's two guys right now averaging 20 and 10 in college basketball. Uh, one is extremely obvious. It's Zach Eady of Purdue. He's at right. 22 and 13, which is hilarious. Can you name the other player who's averaging 20 and 10? <sighs> The other player averaging 20 and 10 right now. Let me think for a second. We're not talking 20 and 10 assists, right? It yeah, has to be 10 20, rebounds. 10 rebounds. Is... Okay, so yeah, I was going to look and see if there's anybody averaging double-digit assists, but Yuri yeah. Collins at St. Louis says. Okay. Um, I'm going to... Is it Drew Timmy? Is not Drew Timmy. This person plays in the state of Tennessee. Is it Chattanooga Mock? It is Jake Stevens of Chattanooga. That's what I thought. Okay, there you go. I was like, it has to be a mock then, because it's definitely not Memphis. Or anything. Okay. It's definitely not Fandy either. No. Anyway, uh, uh, Jake Stevens, 23 and 11 right now. Jake Stevens. Um, but he just got done beating Western Carolina on Wednesday, put up 35 and 10. He scored 26 in the first half. He came from uh, somewhere else too, right? Wasn't he another He came transfer? from VMI. That's right. With And Dan Earl is the new coach at Chattanooga. Previously at VMI, brought him over. Mm. Might be the single best transfer of the entire college basketball season. Mm. Legitimately should be on the NBA radar. This guy is shooting 45% from three. Uh, by the way, he is a seven-foot center. Yes. And he's doing this on um, almost six three-point attempts per game, by the way. <laughs> Uh, 58% from two, 86% from the free throw line, blocks almost two shots a game, never fouls, comes up with a lot of assists as well. He's got four assists per game. Oh, he's actually at 2.3 blocks, I misread. Steal per game as well. Tremendous rebounder too. I mean, he doesn't get to 11 for no reason. I 
The problem with the rooting for SOCON teams is that if you get too invested, you're going to be really disappointed come the conference tournament um, because that's just how it works in mid-major uh, leagues. Mm. But dad gummit, do I want Chattanooga to get in? Because that is the exact type of guy you really want to see on the March Madness stage. Man, that's fun. And he's a graduate. I was like, could he be a Tennessee grad transfer next year? No, he's done. Uh, he's let let a, me he's... tell you something that's actually, tr- it really sums up the point I just made. Uh-huh. Uh, Satorvik has auto bid likelihoods for like all the leagues, right? Every team in every league. Mm. Uh, there are four teams at 20% or above to get the auto bid in the SOCON. None are above 26%. Hmm. So that's how that's how wide open it is at the top. Furman, Chattanooga, UNCG, Samford, all roughly equal. Hmm. But that's also just like just tune in and watch Chattanooga. They're a really fun team. They take the the highest number of threes of any team in basketball. They also give up more threes than almost any team in basketball. So if you want an entertaining game, they are a lock. Huh. I like it. Uh, Will, statsbywill.substack.com. Go subscribe today if you have not already done so. Uh, what can you plug there as we wrap up here tonight? Uh, Tennessee-Kentucky preview will be out as this uh, podcast comes. There's also an SEC weekly piece every week. I went over why Florida is a little bit underrated this year despite their 9-7 and record. Uh, they're better than people think. Um, you just love that San Francisco coach. I freaking love Todd Golden. That's I true. know that's what it was. Yeah. He, he's a big Ken Palm guy. He's a big mm-hmm. nerd. Uh, you can just tell. Look at him. He's a big nerd. Um, NCAA Weekly. I also put out this week, if you're a bracketology person, a Google Sheet with a mileage from schools to the various sites, I think is very useful for people trying to figure out, like, where is your team going to go uh, for the first and second round if you're a high enough seed? Like, also, if you're planning out where you want to go in March, could be useful depending on how far it is from your preferred city. Uh, Tennessee fans maybe start looking into some Greensboro, North Carolina hotels. So there, there's probably more stuff coming, but that's the main stuff now. There you go. Uh, Stats by Will, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, thank you as always. Go subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to statsbywill.substack.com. Type your email. That easy, that simple. Five bucks. I should probably get better at plugging it. I always forget that I have the Substack when I come on here, and then I remember after we've lo- after we've logged off to say you should subscribe. No, that's what we we got it. We we make sure the last thing people hear is to hit that subscribe button. Type in your email. It's that easy, that simple. Do it today. Will, thank you as always, my friend, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing, mm-hmm. you're, um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. 
Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.